0: You are listening to the teaching ministries of Southwest Church, located in the heart of Springboro, Ohio, at 150 Remick Boulevard, beside the Kaufman Family YMCA. Please visit our website at www.southwestchurch.org. Thank you for joining us for this week's message from student minister Andrew and we made a huge list of, you know, misconceptions or even falsehoods or even flat-out lies that uh, some of us have been led to believe or uh, we might be tempted to believe in ourselves. And so we kind of whittled it down to five, and we've kind of been going through these uh, different myths each week and debunking them in turn. You know, things, myths like that Jesus is always angry, disappointed in us, and, you know, pointing his finger in our faces, and, you know, or uh, the idea that he's just kind of keeping a list of everything we do well, but especially what we do wrong. That is a myth. He is all love. The myth that uh, Jesus falls perfectly in line with maybe our personal political beliefs, and also I think last week we kind of went through debunk the idea that Jesus is out of date, irrelevant. With this message called "Antique Jesus." Uh, well, today I get to uh, wrap things up uh, with this message entitled "Professor Jesus." And the direction we're going is uh, some of us in this room, maybe even all of us in this room, we know what it feels like to hear the words of Jesus and think to ourselves, I have no idea what Jesus is talking about. Either his teachings is either too complex, it's too ambiguous, or it's unclear, and we just get frustrated. Many of us, uh, if, not, uh, if we've not been to college, at least we know what it's like to have a teacher who is either uh, just out of their minds boring, they're talking way above our heads, or they're just not good at communicating exactly what they want to teach us. We all know what that feels like. I was thinking back in my own life, you know, times where this has happened, and I was uh, taken back to a memory I had when I was doing my undergrad work out at Lincoln Christian University in Illinois, and it was probably the spring of... It was probably the spring of nine I got the bad stand. It was probably the spring of nine and uh, the <clears throat> I, can, I can walk and che again at the same time. Uh, it was spring of nine The class was essentials of theology, and uh, it was a large lecture hall, just you know a very very large class and One day the professor uh, he decided to bring in a guest speaker, and it was pretty clear that uh, they had been old buddies you know was one of the he, but this guy starts talking it was pretty clear that uh, one, he wasn't talking about essential theology. I can't remember what he came to talk about, but I just remember that, like, I'm really not into what this guy is saying. My thought was, Hey, I've paid for essential theology and he's not talking about this. So I'm going to have an attitude. So that was going on. And then this is, and it's coupled with something else. Um, so I was sitting with my dear good friend, uh, his name is Josh. He's actually going to come up with another story later. And uh, I'm sure every one of us have these friends of ours that no matter how old we get, how mature we get, if if we put the two of you in the same room, when something's serious, you're supposed to be paying attention, you'll be telling jokes and distracting each other, right? We all have that, at least one friend that you just cannot sit next to, maybe even in church. Well, this was Josh for me. We play tic-tac-toe, make jokes, do everything besides pay attention. And uh, this is what we did. Oh, I'm getting the sign. Junior higher. Sorry, I forgot. Uh, Sixth or eighth grade, you you can be dismissed. Get out of here. So I was like, what is Eric trying to point at me here in the back for? So we figured it out. Sixth or eighth grade, you are dismissed. Thank you. Um, So we sit next to each other. So here's you put these two together, and then here is what was going on, uh, how this story unfolds. So this guest speaker, he's not talking about the essentials of theology, and I am bothered by it. And every now and again, just something about me, uh, one is uh, I hate it when my time is uh, abused or I just, I I just hold, I just, you know, consider my time just very important to me. I don't want it wasted. And also every now and again, not often, I just have this very small need to rebel against something. (sighs) So I felt like my time, our time, just, you know, the entire class was just being, uh, you know, misused and that's not okay. I felt disrespected. So uh, he's talking just, you know, who knows about what, and I probably wouldn't paying attention anyway, but hey, I've paid for essentials of theology. This is not essentials of theology. So uh, something about this lecture hall, the projector sat about six feet above me and the cord to that projector came down the wall right behind me and plugged in right next to my desk, right where my hand falls. So like, well, somebody needs to do something about this. So unplugged it, plug it right back in. It all goes dark. Actually, we had a good, yeah, like that. (laughs) it all goes dark, and these two old professors in front, they start, you know, well, not cussing because they're Christian, but they like started Christian cussing about all the terrible, (laughs) the terrible equipment, all that. And I don't remember, I might be misremembering, but I feel like we may have been dismissed a little early out of their frustration. But we certainly all know what it feels like to have our time wasted or uh, just be in a spot of, I don't even know why I'm sitting here. Well, again, there's this myth that Jesus is unclear. He might be wasting our time. And when we feel that way when it comes to Jesus, it's very easy for us to throw up our hands saying, well, I tried. Or we start making excuses such as, well, if Jesus, you know, if, if Jesus wants me to do something, he just needs to come flat out and say it. <clears throat> or we even just zone out and just not pay attention. We know what it feels like to be in the state of someone who's just being confusing or way over our heads. Well, we want to debunk that myth this morning. And the idea, what I want everyone leaving with is this. Jesus was actually very, very clear about what he came to do. And he was very clear about what he would have each of us do. So we're going to do a little um, audience participation, a little interaction, like you don't have to talk if you don't want to. But I'm going to throw up uh, four images on the screen, and you're going to kind of guess who they are. And if you want to shout it out, you can. But here's a first image I want to throw up. Anyone have any idea who this is? I'm hearing some, some colonial names. This is actually a young painting of Roger Hendricks. <sighs> That's not true. I just wanted to laugh. This is actually Paul Revere. You wouldn't know that because he's not on a horse. And he, many, I think I heard a Paul Revere in the back or someone's, I guess, Sam Adams last night. Yes, this is Paul Revere, a very simple, direct painting of Mr. Revere. How about this uh, next photo? Now, who's this? It's who you think it is. You can say it. Yeah, exactly. It's Paul Revere. It's the exact same guy in the first one. Now just so you know, we're going to start going into the gospels and uh, just so you know, it's a very tongue in cheek, but the thought is how could it possibly be that this person and the person in the first light are the exact same person don't look anything alike? How about a third one? Who do we think this is? This is Paul Revere again. He's on a horse. He got Old North Church in the background. Paul Revere, only more, I don't know. This is just a more serious painting, I suppose. Then we have a fourth one. Who does this look like? Exactly, it's Paul Revere. We have four paintings, drawings, artist renditions of Paul Revere. Now, they don't all look alike, but yet we were able to guess, okay, this seems like Paul Revere, just using our context clues. Now, we would be, uh, I dare say, idiotic to think that, you know, oh, you can only have one painting of Paul Revere because there was only one Paul Revere, Right. These are four different representations, and whoever drew these uh, or painted these photos had a different idea in mind of how they wanted to cast Mr. Revere. The first one, uh, just Paul Revere the man, just who he was outside of his legend. And then the second photo was clearly from a children's book because it's an important piece of history that we want our children to know. And the last two very similar, hey, this is just Paul Revere doing his thing. One if I land, two if I see, you know, the British are coming, the British are coming. Well, sometimes a critique, when people look at the Gospels, we're going to be in each of the four Gospels very briefly this morning, a critique that we might hear as far as how confusing the Bible might be or how confusing Jesus is, many people would look to say, well, there are four different Gospels, and each of those authors say completely different things. They don't always have the same details. How could it possibly be uh, true? How could it possibly be trustworthy? And then, you know, we have this example of Paul. He was like, well, here's the deal. From each of these authors, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, Each of these gospel writers had a very specific way that they wanted to represent Jesus, a side of his personality, his character, or especially his ministry. So we're going to do like a brief survey of each of these gospels and get to the very root. If we had to get just one thing out of each of these, what would we have get out of it? What would Jesus have for us in each of these? Beginning with the gospel of Mark. This is Mark chapter 10, 10 verses. I'll read it. We can read it together. Then James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came over and spoke to him. Teacher, they said, we want you to do us a favor. What is your request? He asked. They replied, When you sit on your glorious throne, we want to sit in places of honor next to you, one on your right and the other on your left. But Jesus said to them, You don't know what you're asking. Are you able to drink from the bitter cup of suffering I'm about to drink? Are you able to be baptized with the baptism of suffering I must be baptized with? Oh, yes, they replied, We are able. Then Jesus told them, You will indeed drink from my bitter cup and be baptized with my baptism of suffering. But I have no right to say who will sit on my right or my left. God has prepared those places for the ones he has chosen. When the other ten uh, disciples heard what James and John had asked, they were indignant. So Jesus called them all together and said, You know that the rules in this world lord it over their people, and officials flaunt their authority over those under them. But among you... will be different whoever wants to be a leader among you must be your servant and whoever wants to be first among you must be the slave of everyone else for even the son of man came not to be served but to serve others and to give his life as a ransom for many now, what exactly did James and John want? These are brothers, and if you kind of do some study on their personalities, they seem to be hot-headed, impetuous, very strong personalities. And we all know what it's like to have the feeling that, you know, hey, I'm awesome and everyone needs to know about it, or I need to be honored, right? So they come to you it's like, hey, we have an idea. We know that, you know, we know who you are, you're the Messiah, so we know that you have uh, strings in heaven that you can pull. So whenever you get there, if you could like save the seats of honor on your right and left, we think we have earned this. We think we should be sitting next to you and you know we know that jesus says you have no idea what you're asking and you know we'll we'll see what happens i don't that's that's god's decision not mine but the other ten hear about this and says they are furious jealous indignant that's the word that's being used and then so never one to pass up a teaching moment one of the many reasons i love jesus he calls, pulls them all together and says hey look here's about this servant thing and, and uh you know a position thing and authority thing in this world yeah, it's pretty common for if someone has, even has a little bit of power, they like everyone to know about it. And if someone has authority or power over someone else, then they'd like to lord it over or flaunt their authority, as like Jesus says. But Jesus says this, for you, my disciple, my follower, you're supposed to be the servant of other people. You want to be a good leader? Be the slave of everyone else. Now most of us today would agree that servant leadership is the one that most of us respect and respond to the most. Well, all that started with Jesus. There really wasn't a style up until then. I heard of this a great metaphor years ago, years and years ago, about uh, when it comes to being a servant for other people. It's a metaphor of plates, uh, the, you know, in serving meals. Uh, or food, or desserts, whatever, uh, we put food on plates. But there are different types of plates out there, right? You can do the old plastic plate, you can do like the barbecue cookout plate with the little, you know, little uh, compartments on the plate that kind of stack all neat together. There's paper plates, there are uh, even all the way to fine china, you know, bringing out for, for the very special occasion or very important people. In the metaphor of plates, if we're all plates, uh, I heard this great metaphor saying, when it comes to serving others, everyone wants to be fine china, Everyone wants to be commented on like, oh, what a nice plate this is. What a special occasion. Everyone likes being fine china. Nobody likes being a paper plate. Jesus would say, be the paper plate. Uh, one thing that myself and leadership around here We're very proud of We've had a number of paper plate moments Serving opportunities here at uh, Southwest Last couple of weeks I think last weekend Roger threw up some uh, photos Of a bunch of people coming together To help out at the Kuprowitz house Just spreading a bunch of mulch Just tons and tons of mulch In a matter of like 30-45 minutes and just a very paper plate moment. And we were proud to have a, you know, a, a church that has so many people willing to serve in that way. And we had a couple, you know, this is last week on Tuesday, uh, lots of mulching done were, were here, just people that you wouldn't, um, you know, people not looking for recognition, just saw a need and kind of helped out. And we had this yesterday we've been talking about uh, in the bulletin on the stage, this uh, work day at Camp Jabez. And a team went out uh, for about four hours yesterday kind of getting ready for that. And I had told the team, like, hey, uh, I have a track meet on uh, Saturday morning. As soon as I'm done there, I will come out and I will join the team. I will serve with you side by side, no problem, things like that. Well, I got out there maybe at 1.30 p.m., about a half hour uh, before we we're supposed to. Uh, but I wanted to certainly – we took a picture of the um, – uh, I, I worked for maybe, maybe five minutes, and that would be very, very generous. I, I pulled a wheelbarrow, and uh, yeah, we have the we have the evidence right here. Th- that is the extent. I, I think I dragged it about 15 feet, um, but I'm enjoying myself. <laughs> but I was able to get out there. But I wanted to just kind of throw up. I said, "Hey, everyone else, get together. I want to, you know, get a picture of the the people who actually did the real work." Um, just uh, I was just inspired and super thankful that um, you know this is kind of some paper plate work being done. Uh... <clears throat> Kind of to wrap up this little uh, mark section. Uh, hopefully, you've been hearing about this event we have next this coming weekend. Help build hope. I'm wearing the T-shirt that we're going to give out to everyone who comes along, and uh, we've been gearing up for this. You know, we're going to partner with this mission organization, and we're hoping to build and frame two houses uh, for a couple of different families. One house is going just north of Columbus, and the other one is uh, going next door in Preble County. And the cool thing is that family is actually going to be here to kind of help and kind of meet us and just uh, you know. Run shoulders, that sort of thing, which we're very, very excited for. But I just wanted to put the ask out there just one more time. This is a great chance for us to live out our value of serving other people, serving our community. And where it stands right now, it's a Friday, Saturday event. And Friday, we are full. So if you signed up for that, thank you so much. We're packed full. We got everything we need for Friday. And then just for the builders of all ages, again, we'll have people out there from ages five up to 85 that are already signed up anyway. There's something for everybody. And it's a few hours. Uh, you know, we're going to start off with some worship that morning and a devotional thought. And we'll have some music out there. And really, everyone will have something to do. And you get the shirt. It only costs you 10 bucks to come participate. Uh, as it stands right now... Uh, We we have about probably half the crew leaders that we need. We need about 10 to 15 more. And then just the builders of all ages, we're about 75% there, which thank you, thank you, thank you so much for those who signed up already. But also, if you haven't yet, we want to have you. We would love everyone in this room to be a part of that. The sign-ups, you can do it online or, you know, as you leave there in the lobby. But just as a refresher, just a vision-casting thing of what it's going to look like, we have this uh, video, short video. Get a good look at what it's going to look like. Something for everybody. Here's the main verse, the key verse of Mark's entire gospel, what Jesus was all about, what Mark wanted us to know. It's Mark 10:45. For even the son of man came not to be served, but to serve, to serve others and to give his life as a ransom for many. Here's some clarity for us. What would Jesus have you do? Serve others. It's simple. It's clear. I, so every now and again, I get interested in last words, you know, famous last words. Sometimes they're humorous, sometimes they're very poignant and thoughtful and serious. Uh, I just pulled three. I don't even think I wrote down who they were. I just wanted to share them, just last words, people right before they pass, either deathbed or before an accident, things like that. Uh, this first one came from a union, uh, a union Army officer in the Civil War, right before the Battle of Spotsylvania was about to start. Uh, he was, you know, kind of, he thought his men were being cowards, so he wanted to like, you know, gear him up. So he had this inspiring line. He said this <clears throat> he said they couldn't hit an elephant at this disc he got shot by the way <laughs> this one i really like as well as just someone who appreciates good grammar this guy who was just really in a girl like 300 years ago on his deathbed this one guy said i'm about to or i am going to die either expression is correct that's someone's last words Dramatically correct to the very end. You get respect from me. I love it. And this one, I just, I don't know, this is just just my sense of humor, I don't know, but I found this on Reddit, uh, talking about famous last words. This guy says, I'm studying to be a pilot in school, and my professor told us that if he was ever crashing and he knew he couldn't recover and would die, he'd say over the radios, look at the size of those tentacles. And the FAA and NTSB would be so confused. (laughs) The very end verses of Matthew's gospel contain Jesus's last words. And I feel like at least half the time I'm up here, I bring up uh, what uh, some know as the Great Commission. And I don't get tired of saying it. Hopefully you don't get tired of hearing it because uh, especially when it comes to Jesus, last words are important. These are Jesus's own last words to his disciples when right before he ascends back into heaven. He says, it goes like this. Jesus came and told his disciples, I have been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Therefore, go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I've given you, and be sure of this, I am with you always, even to the end of the age." If you do some ancient language homework, you would find that there are a lot of commands in here, lots of do's. You know, go. Some people I'd say that you can't spell the word gospel without go. There's the command, make disciples. He says, teach them, obey them, baptize them. There's a lot to uh, chew on here. But if we were to do our homework about these ancient languages, it would come out to this. It would have Jesus saying, if you get only one thing out of this, here's the main thing I want you to do. Just two words. Just make disciples. Make disciples. That's what Jesus would have for us in Matthew's gospel. Now around here, as far as defining what a disciple is, we uh, turn our eyes to Matthew four It's been mentioned here many, many, many times before where Jesus says this, come follow me. I'll show you how to fish for people. Or some of the versions say, come follow me and I will make you fishers of men or fishers for people. And we kind of carve this thing up and we say, hey, here's what a disciple is. Here's what we consider a disciple here at Southwest Church. It's someone who's following Jesus, is someone who's, um, who lets Jesus change them, someone who's being changed by Jesus, and someone who's committed to the mission of Jesus. We like to keep it as simple as we can. Someone who follows Jesus, is changed by Jesus, and is committed to the mission of Jesus. Uh, last weekend, most of you were here, some of you were not. Uh, Roger, he was... Um, he, I just appreciate his leadership in this way. Uh, he brought up a concern, I would even go so far as to say a, a problem that we had uh, here just over the last few weeks uh, or months here at Southwest. Uh, there were, you know, f- for a couple of months we've you know, been hearing, not a lot, but enough stories, just, you know, new, people newer to Southwest, you know, uh, coming, you know, sitting in here, walking the halls, just getting uh, stories or just, um, just thoughts that, hey, the people of Southwest Church don't seem to be very friendly, or stories of, I've been here, you know, two, three, four weeks in a row, and no one has reached out to me. No one shake my head, asked my name, asked anything. Now, these are these, they're, they're all anecdotal, but when you start hearing that every now and again, over and over, like, okay, we might have a, a, a problem that we need to be dealt with. So that was brought up this last weekend, and just, one thing is, you know, I, I find Southwest to be a friendly place, but also I know what it's like to be new in a place, and uh, it's just, many of you know what it's like to feel like the odd person out, or just not to know anybody, so we put out the challenge. You know, what if what would it look like for us to just be overtly friendly? You know, even if you you recognize a face, but you've never talked to someone here at the church building before, what would that look like? Just after service, just kind of do that. And it was, and after each service last weekend, it was exciting. It was inspiring. Just so many smiles and handshakes. Hi, how are you? I'm this person. I've seen you around, but we've never talked. And even newer people, you know, were kind of experiencing that. And it was just inspiring. It was exciting, and all that. There was even one family I noticed. They kind of gathered them all themselves all together and says, "All right." We are not leaving until each one of us meets two new people. And it turned into a game, and it was great. A part of making disciples was kind of that reaching out piece and being a place where disciples can actually be made. So uh, you know, we were you know, very proud of you know, everyone here at the building last week and being able to do that, and we want to keep that going, just uh, you know, being on the lookout for those who might look newer or maybe uh, you've recognized someone around here for years and years but never said hello. Let's keep that going. We want to keep that up, just that we want to be friendly and loving more than anything else. I gave it away just a little bit a minute ago, but if we're looking at uh, what would Jesus have for us for the Gospel of Matthew, again, we'll make it simple, just as simple as serve others, make disciples. Make disciples. My absolute favorite gospel is the Gospel of Luke. Um, I feel like uh, Doctor, he was a doctor. I feel like Dr. Luke and I have some similarities and personality things we appreciate. If you read the first few verses of Luke's gospel, it comes down to, he's like, "Hey, I'm just doing this to make sure that Jesus is exactly who he said He was. So Luke's Gospel and the book of Acts, he also wrote, he's just doing research. He's getting all the details, and he's out to prove that, yes, Jesus is exactly who he said He was. That's one of the reasons I appreciate Luke another thing that Luke does that I love that, um, the other gospel writers don't pay as much attention to is Luke pays a whole lot of attention to, Hey, how does Jesus relate to and treat the poor? How does he treat those who are stricken with poverty, even stuck in a life of it? How does Jesus deal with people that we would call sinners, like terrible, terrible people? What's he do with those people? How about the ones who would say that they're forgotten or know what it feels like to be invisible in a room full of people? How about people who feel like they're the victim of classicism or even racism? How does Jesus deal with these people? Something very cool. If you read, you know, Luke uh, chapter 9 through 19, uh, most of the parables and the healings, they had to do with people uh, loving and uh, curing and spending time with people who, honestly, maybe people like you and me just don't want to have anything to do with. I love Jesus' example in the gospel of Luke. One major theme of Luke's gospel is that the gospel, the news that, yes, Jesus, King Jesus is on the throne, and he is here for, to save everyone who would believe in him. One of the main themes of Luke's gospel is this, that the gospel is for all people. The gospel is for all people. Jesus is for all people. And that's people who uh, are poorer than us, those who live in a different part of the state than we do, those who listen to different music than we do, those who are more blessed than we are, those who are faced by more tragedy than we could ever imagine. Everyone you know, we could uh, think of, people we hate, people we don't like to be seen around, the gospel is for those people too. And it's even to the point of being like almost offensive, like, Jesus, really, that person? Jesus would say, yeah, that person too. There are these 10 verses from uh, Luke 19 that get at uh, Jesus' heart in this matter. Jesus entered Jericho and made his way through the town. There was a man there named Zacchaeus. He was the chief tax collector in the region, and he had become very rich. He tried to get a look at Jesus, but he was too short to see over the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree beside the road, for Jesus was going to pass that way. And when Jesus came by, he looked up at Zacchaeus and called him by name. Zacchaeus, he said, quick, come down. I must be a guest in your home today. Zacchaeus quickly climbed down and took Jesus to his house in great excitement and joy. But the people were displeased. And I think that's understatement here. He has gone to be the guest of a notorious sinner, they grumbled. Meanwhile, Zacchaeus stood before the Lord and said, I will give half my wealth to the poor, Lord, and if I have cheated people on their taxes, I will give them back four times as much. And Jesus responded, Salvation has come to this home today, for this man has shown himself to be a true son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and save those who are lost. Years and years ago, um, I, I, it was maybe even 2009 again. Actually, uh, me and my this was, I was back in Indianapolis. Uh, me and my buddy Josh, we were about to go on separate internships, just part of the college thing. I was about to go do an internship at a church here in Ohio, and he was going to go do an internship at a church up in Portland, Maine. And we weren't going to see each other for about six months. He's one of my best friends, so uh, we're both from Indianapolis. Our homes were there, and we just wanted like you know one just last fun night, you know, together just to hang out. And so we go downtown Indianapolis. If you've been there, we were walking around just the, the circle, the monument there, you know, drinking coffee and, you know, eating ice cream. Who I, I forget. Anyway, so we hadn't, you know, really been hanging out all that often before we you know, walk out of this chocolate shop. And there's uh, there's a man who, you know, from our site was obviously home, homeless, making direct eye contact with us. And maybe you're like, I was then I was trained or maybe I just wanted to, you know, just don't don't acknowledge, don't make eye contact. Um, but but Josh didn't do that. He made direct eye contact, and this guy started talking with us. And uh, we, immediately, you know, this is this is just kind of where I was as a human being. Then, like, immediately, I'm impatient. I don't want to be bothered, and not just because it's my last night with my buddy, but because I, you just know what it feels like. I just don't want to be bothered by a homeless guy. Anyway, so Josh is one of these guys. He's never met a stranger, so he starts talking, and we start hearing. This guy's name was Tex. His story. And long story short, you know, he had been in the restaurant business, you know, this happened, this happened, didn't work out, he's now on the street. And we start uh, walking and talking. And it gets to the point that, like, I actually kind of fall back between Josh and Tex. I let them do the talking, and I'm just fuming, I'm impatient, I just, I'm I'm angry. Because this guy is manipulating us, he's just saying what he thinks we want to hear, so we'll give him money or food. And I just wanted my friend. And Josh keeps talking, and Tex keeps talking. Eventually... Josh speaks up and said, I would love to get you a sandwich. So we find a Jimmy John's. I did not contribute a thing. Josh buys him a sandwich and not just a sandwich. He gets him a drink. He gets him chips. He gets him a cookie. And as soon, and just like I thought, as soon as Tex got what he wanted, he was out of there. He couldn't leave quick enough. And my thought was like, yeah, I was right. He was out to manipulate. And Josh and I, we, we end our night together. We, we, you know, we had fun, I'm sure. And we're driving home and Josh knows what my heart was like. Then he's like, hey, what would what, you think of that? I'm like, "Hey, he was out to manipulate and blah blah blah. You totally fell for it and, you know, he wasted so much of our time." And I said, "You know, why did you put up with that?" And he says, "It's not my job to determine what someone else's motivation is. It's not my job to determine what someone is going to do with the money that I give them. It's not my job to judge to see if they are worthy of my time or my attention or my resources. John says, it's my job to notice them. It's my job to be generous. It's my job to serve. You ever feel like you've been punched in the face? (laughs) That's one of those people that Jesus would have said, pay attention to text would have found a very good home in the Gospel of Luke. Here's the key verse of the entire Gospel of Luke. It's Luke 19.10. For the Son of Man came to seek and save those who are lost. How would Jesus whittle this down, get through the clutter, get through the ambiguity? He would say, seek the lost. Go look for them, notice them. We all know lost people, at least one. Probably all of us more than one. Jesus would say, seek him out. Don't make it complicated. Then there's John's gospel. This is many people's uh, very favorite gospel out of all four. Um, sometimes it's been called the people's gospel for many new believers, new, new uh, Christians. Uh, you know, They'll be like, hey, what do I read? Where do I start? Many say, hey, start with the gospel of John. It's just the most accessible, I, it pro- I would say. <clears throat> and it's probably the most beautiful as well. But even it's been that way, you know, since the beginning, when it was first written, if you look at, you know, those original languages and all that, you would see that there are so many one and two syllable words because they just wanted to make the, John wanted to make this as readable as possible. That even the simplest of, of people could, you know, get this in their soul and uh, and make it work for them. I'm going to throw out a, a couple of different verses from John's gospel. One is uh, in the very first chapter where John writes this. He says, so the word, and that's Jesus, became human and made his home among us. He was full of unfailing love and faithfulness. And we've seen his glory, the glory of the father's one and only son. But it's especially that piece, he made his home among us. He is full of unfailing love and faithfulness. And then you jump way toward the end of the gospel, and John kind of writes out, hey, here's why I wrote all this down for you guys. The disciples saw Jesus do many other miraculous signs in addition to the ones recorded in this book. But these are written so that you may continue to believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing in him, you will have life by the power of his name. So John starts out saying, hey, Jesus, you know, he came to earth, he made his home among us, here's the kind of guy he was. And then he ends saying, hey, everything I wrote down, the stories, the miracles, the teachings, everything, is just so anyone hearing this or reading this would believe. So uh, this last fall, um, it, it was what I would call a spiritually dry season for me. I don't know if I'd call it a valley, but maybe it was. Just uh, I will always say that I have... Just the most fulfilling, meaningful job I could possibly have. But also, you know what it's like to be in a dry spell yourself. Just the idea of like, is what I'm doing mattering? Am I making any difference? We've all had those thoughts before. So I was in one of those uh, seasons uh, last fall for a couple of months. And so, you know, you, you, you share this with your friends just because, you know, you want to share your heart with people, even, you know, your successes and your defeats and all that. And uh, I, got a, I got a couple of encouragements in return and I don't share these encouragements to, uh, to puff myself up because uh, you know, God knows how many times I think to myself just how ridiculous it is that I get to do something as, as great and awesome as this, just this calling that, that I have, I've been called to. It's very humbling. But I got, I got two uh, encouragements via text uh, that, that'll stay with me at least for a while. One was this, one friend uh, said to me, I believe in Jesus because of you. And another one said, I'm alive because of you. So even just one text, that first one, I believe in Jesus because of you. I want to throw out the question, how many people can say that about everyone in this room? Can someone look at you and say, hey, I believe in Jesus because of you, or at least, hey, I've been inspired to explore Jesus because of you. I've been prompted to ask questions about who Jesus is because of you. You know, John writes in his gospel that, hey, everything you're reading and hearing, I wrote it down so you would believe that, yeah, Jesus was the son of God. We all know, or most of us know, uh, the famous John three sixteen. have it up here. I many of us could quote it without looking, you know, for this is how God loved the world. He gave his one and only Son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. Everyone who believes. Uh, we're about to do the communion thing, and one reason that we do this communion thing is uh, because many, if not all of us in this room, we believe in Jesus. And that last meal before uh, he's arrested, he's with his disciple. He says, hey, if you believe in me, I want you to do this. I want you to remember me. I want you to remember that belief, remember that faith. I got this bread that represents my body. I got this wine. We have juice that represents my blood. And you are sharing in my suffering. You're also sharing in my resurrection. You're sharing in everything that I offer you. But he's saying that, yes, you're on my side. And you have faith in me. You believe in me. I think this is what Jesus would have for us from John's gospel. It might be a tiny bit more of a stretch, but I think it's obedient. I think it's faithful to scripture. But I think it would be something like, hey, live a life that makes other people believe in Jesus. Live a life that inspires belief. Let me pray for us, and then we'll do communion, then I have a a couple of announcements for us. But let's pray. Father, we want it to be uh, kept simple. We want following you to be simple. We know it's not easy, but uh, sometimes there's ambiguity and we want clarity and we just want our faith to be strengthened in, in, in a quick way. You would have us say, you know, serve others, make disciples, seek the lost, live a life that makes others believe. But in this moment, we want to be reminded that we ourselves believe in you. We want to join Jesus in this meal and that we are obedient to him, and that we are saying, yes, we are followers of Jesus, and we want to be changed by Jesus, and we are committed, so committed to his mission of being a light to the world. To help us in this moment, put our hearts and minds squarely on your son, Jesus, and our belief in him. In his name, amen. Thank you for listening to Southwest Church Teaching Ministries. We are a community of people committed to following Jesus and making disciples. Please join us for one of our three weekly gatherings. Saturdays at 5.30 p.m., Sundays at 9.30 a.m., and 11.15 15.